for joining us, the Wealthy Retailer Podcast with your host, Dan Holman. Every episode, Dan dives into the retail headlines that matter to you, the independent retailer, covering topics ranging from retailer inventory, technology, marketing, retailers' questions, and more. The Wealthy Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Learn more at retailbycrs.com. And now, here's Dan Holman. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Wealthy Retailer Podcast. Uh, I am, as as you maybe heard, your host, Dan Holman. I've got my pitch man, he calls himself, Rob Lollisher from Road 55 Marketing. Going to feed us some, uh, some days I'll say great headlines. Today, I'm going to say mm, mediocre headlines. Let's poke the bear a little bit with some of this stuff and have some fun. <laughs> Well, now you've insulted me right out of the gate, and uh, you. well, you've asked for my opinion here, and I'm going to give it to you, and damn the torpedoes, Dan, I don't care what that's going to, no, that actually takes us into our first story we're going to talk about this week, and, and a bit about how uh, how careful businesses need to be with, with some of the causes, and, and we'll say their shout outs that they choose yeah. to align with. Uh, interesting story there. Um, another story about, I, I like this, just how the retail workforce has changed for the good. And and some really interesting points came out of there that I know uh, are really going to resonate with a bunch of people. And then, uh, you know, a bit of a good news headline uh, coming out of the National Retail Federation says that retail sales could grow as much as 13.5% this year. And as always, I love this, the the retailer questions of the week. It, it seems like you got this more than once uh, this past week. Just talking a bit about uh, the frequency as it relates to, you know, sending emails to their client base and and just some thoughts there. So, uh, yeah, should be good, eh, Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's roll with the first let's, one. Let's dive in. Yeah, story coming from cbc.ca. Uh, you know, kind of zeroes in on on businesses posting that we'll say some of that pandemic related social media, uh, just talking about the the risks they need to be aware of uh, as as they kind of stake their their claim, their opinions, what have you. Uh, what, what jumped out to you here, Dan? Well, it jumped out because it came from my hometown. So um, perhaps not the content that maybe we want to talk about all the time, but definitely. Um, a good little story from CBC, um, and it, it was about you know businesses, Rob, posting um, pandemic-related social media. And Sarah Wilner, an associate professor uh, in marketing and the chair in brand communications at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, uh, goes on to share that hey, y'all need to be cautious of what you're posting. Beware. Um, and this this good little Q and A article highlights her opinion uh, that business owners should think carefully about the message they want to send before aligning their brand with a cause. Right, right. Yeah, let's, let's, let's recognize that the pandemic for some perhaps was a cause. Um, and, you know, Sarah goes on to say a social media post, a comment, or even just hitting the like button on someone else's post can impact how customers view a business. And I'll share with you, growing up in retail, Rob, we never really spoke about our political alignments or misalignments, uh, religion, or any other potentially contentious issue that might steer customers away from our stores. We maintained a relatively private life. And there is no such thing anymore. And Sarah's safe, or uh, as some might say, chicken shit approach to standing up for what we believe 
does not fly at the independent level. In fact, she is, I, I believe, she's dead wrong about this. Okay. And, and so were we back in the day as we tried to keep ourselves private and never spoke about things that could potentially be contentious. Today, independent retailers must take a stand for what they believe in, and they have to be comfortable not just comfortable, but motivated to stand in front of their audience and say, hey, this is what we believe. Now, this whole article, Rob, you know, was foundationally based on the pandemic, right. where we have a pretty solid 60-40 split, um, believers, uptickers, and so on. And yep. here, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her a little slam on this, this perspective that comes from a public employee probably varies than that that comes from a private employee as a private you know business owner i am not embarrassed nor will i ever shy away from telling you what i believe i think maybe you already know that about me and <laughs> i've so, heard that a few times so does my audience my audience whether it is my inner circle of of client relations my team my employees my you know the people that i am influenced by they know that I will take a stand for what I believe and push them to take a stand for what they believe. And, you know, this, this chicken shit approach to just be cautious, don't hit like on someone that's having an anti-mask rally or, you know, don't promote the fact that you're opening your doors against public health restrictions. Well, you know, if that's what you're doing, I guarantee you, you're going to have a following, right? And isn't it in marketing, Rob, or in public relations, you know, we don't care what they're saying as long as they're saying. <laughs> well, there's uh, yeah, to spell my name right. Don't I want people to talk <laughs> no. about me? Now, yes, I'm going to have the bashers, the naysayers, the Karens in the retail world. We maybe call them the Karens of the world that aren't my freaking customer anyways that are going to badmouth me or say to me, I'll never shop with your store. Well, we've got a pretty good example just here in St. Albert when a retailer stands up and says, no, no, you cannot come into my business and tell me what to do and what that did for him and, and their business and how that community that does follow him, that does believe in him, rallied and supported his business stronger than they had in the past by saying, hey, we appreciate the fact that you're standing up for yourself, that you're trying to feed your kids, that you know, you're trying to put food on the table here. And someone at some higher level of comfort is telling you you're not allowed to do that. And this marketing approach to, oh my gosh, be cautious about what you say, what you like and what you do, isn't really the authentic store that I want to shop in. As business owners and leaders in our community, we need to stand up, be authentic, and be outspoken. We need to be outspoken about our belief system. Otherwise, Rob, aren't we liars? You know, are we liars that can't be trusted? And do we really want to buy and shop with people we don't trust? Do you think it comes from a place of like, look, if you're if you're just trying to uh, not divide your audience and you're just trying to like, don't go there. However, if you do go there, know that you're, you're definitely, you'll, you'll find supporters and whatever that message is there, especially in today's 
polarized yeah. world, right? Right. It, it will it will strengthen one side, but be prepared to, um, in in some, I don't know if it suffers the right word or or you're you're going to uh, um, reap what you sow, and, and you always uh, reap what you sow. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Rob. And I think, I mean, I'm not saying let's get out there on every crazy you know, right side, left side issue and yeah. take a stand. I'm saying, don't be afraid. You know, don't be misguided by this person that is probably disproportionately molding the minds of young marketing, you know, uh, wannabes in, in, at, at university or Wilfrid Laurier University. Like you need to take a stand. And if her perspective is coming from the big retail world, and she believes that the big retail world has some economic power in your community, then, man, oh man, she is so dead wrong. As an independent business in this community, we are the drivers. Small business in a community are the drivers in the community, right? It's not big retail. Big retail pays, in some cases, a fair wage to the employee. Not necessarily a living wage, I guess, but you know, they're paying, we'll talk about wages a little later, but they're paying a wage to the people that live in the community. They're not dumping resource back into this community the way the small business does. When you think of this conversation looking ahead, Dan, we'll, we'll say, let, let's just put the COVID thing into one kind of special category. Back to your you know, earlier comment of, right. of don't, don't talk politics and re- religion. Uh, remove COVID, looking ahead, do you think retailers should be more uh, pronounced in their, in their beliefs and, and what, whatever that might be? Yeah, Rob, I do believe that you, you do need to stand up. And I think you gather a stronger following by demonstrating who and what you are, right? And if you're the wrong person, if you're the wrong public, you know, person for your business, then, then you know, yeah. shut up. Don't put up, yeah. Yeah. right? But if you are your customer, that's how you align yourself with them, right? I mean, here we are faced with this why in the road, man. Do I support big business? Do I support, you know, Amazon now cresting a million employees? Or, you know, do I go and support a local independent retailer that really makes a difference in my business, that actually believes the way I believe? Yep. Does Amazon believe the way we believe? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that any big retailer thinks like the small independent independently operated business thinks never mind retail cast retail aside every small business is that how you know big guys think is that how big guys give back no it's not so stand up for yourself okay no appreciate your your thoughts on that story and uh let's segue that into our next story coming out of uh morningbrew.com actually into the retail brew uh, newsletter they talk about how the retail workforce has changed for the good. And, and uh, so, yeah, let's, what, what were some of the good things that jumped out here yeah. that you feel the changes uh, they're here. We we've got to gravitate to them and we've got to really wrangle them and run with it now. Well, this heavily weighted article out of retail brew, I mean, heavily weighted towards enterprise retail right. does a great job of defining some of the advantages that the indie retailer has today. It's been hammered home, you know, for us in the past 14 months, you know, the pandemic has forever changed retail. 
There's curbside pickup, self-checkout, e-com fulfillment, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But these innovations have done more than speed up delivery time. They've changed the role of being a retail worker. And that retail worker is no longer solely tasked with operating a, a, a cash register um, or stocking shelves, which, by the way, isn't really the reality for an indie retailer. Anyway, um, but, but just listen to this. Click and Collect hit $72 billion with a B dollars in 2020. And we'll use Best Buy as a big retail example. Okay. They say 60% of their Q1, quarter one revenue, was either pickup or delivered by a store personnel. This year, Best Buy also laid off 5,000 employees which is only a decrease in their headcount by about 17% year over year, 20, February 21 to February 20. All right. So they've, they've got, you know, a 17% reduction in their workforce, but doing, you know, three quarters of a trillion dollars or three quarters of a hundred billion, $72 billion in click and collect revenue, which takes a different type of employee, a different type of retailer. Right. And, you know, as we sort of walk through what we're seeing in big retail is a less personalized strategy. Okay. And the more they go down that road, the better it is for us. Our ability to compete with big retail is delivering an experience, a personalized experience. And I love the fact that these guys are going to go down this road of, you know, additional self-checkouts, more and more click and collect, you know, stay as disconnected from the consumer as you can. Because that consumer will inevitably come back to the indie retailer, right? That's where yeah. we want that personalization. Yeah. And, you know, I still believe, you know, that the other challenge that's been created at the enterprise retail, you know, level or workforce level is escalating wages. And as these donkeys came out and declared publicly relabeled their staff as essential retail workers... And then went and added hazard day, <laughs> they created a monster that they perhaps didn't want to. I mean, let's get real here. You know, these these essential retail workers don't need hazard pay. That was just another gimmick, another play on let's take advantage of you know the pandemic and its and its uh, cause and effect you know, to change our language a little bit. And so they started to pay these people hazard pay. Well, guess what hazard pay does? Once you give someone something, good luck taking, taking it, it back, back yeah. right? Pry it out of their cold, dead hands if you have to. That's just not going to happen in retail. So for us, the silver lining in this escalating, I mean, I think I read, Rob, um, it, it was uh, Walmart was going up by three bucks. I mean, there was a list of corporate retail okay. that were going into that 15, 16, you know, dollars per hour, places they have never been. And so what does that mean for us? Well, if their cost of labor is going to go up, you can be damn sure they're not letting profits go down. So that means margins are going to go up, okay. right? So the silver lining here in seeing a shifting retail workforce, someone that I have to pay at, at corporate level, I'm paying a little more money. Yes, 
definitely means I'm probably as an indie going to pay them a little more, but I'm also going to see that my competition, my big box competition, their prices are going up because they can't afford not to increase prices, which means, you know, stronger margins for everyone, less price focused competition. The race to the bottom starts to slow down. And now we have to, you know, deliver on value based pricing, service based pricing. Well, guess what? They've already made this conscious decision to steer staff away from the customer. For indies, we need to regain, re, you know, retake our throne atop of retail personalization, man. And we'll reap the benefits from this. Have you, over your career, Dan, have you have you seen this many times where, like, the bigger retailers they make their move, and then you kind of watch like it's almost like a a very black and white playbook. You can you can yeah. see what's going to happen in the next twelve to twenty four months. In, in more of the independent can. retail world because of that. Yeah, in 99, you know, our, our dollar was crazy, crazy bad um, as compared to the US dollar. And when we started to see, you know, back in my furniture days, we started to see more and more corporate stores opening. You know, they didn't have any choice but to start to raise their prices, which put us back on a level playing field. You know, back in the day, I just drew a blank on what it was called, but it was similar to Wayfair, um, uh, sort of a membership-driven place to go and buy your goods. The name okay. will come to me probably 10 minutes yep. from now, but yep. you know, it, no it, good then. it was a race to, to the bottom in pricing. Right. And as these corporate stores started opening, you know, they, and the, and the exchange, the way it was, prices started to increase again and it started to kill off the price driven stuff. And you could see it coming. You know, we couldn't see a correction in the dollar coming. I mean, we were damn near trading at 50 cents yeah. know, or 35 or 38 <laughs> cents every day. Time you landed goods, it was 52 or 53 cents, you know, on a dollar. You know, it made competition stiff. You know, it, made, it made operating difficult. And we could see that coming. And I think when we take a step back and look, Rob, at the data, at pure numbers, statistical numbers, we can see the path that everyone is on, right? When we look objectively, we can see incoming trends or upcoming trends. We can start to see price changing. Look okay. at what's happening in, in the wages right now. We've, yep. We have fought um, to have more influence over how much we pay for people. And, you know, we've got our, our, our you know, political leaders advocating to pay our retail to raise minimum wage which for a long time, you know, retail fit the minimum wage category, but at the big box level, not always at the indie level, at the big box level, it was that way. And it had started to change. And we saw that happening two years ago where, you know, they were coming out and saying, hey, we're gonna have to pay our people a little bit more money. But in doing that, they reduced their labor force, which meant, you know, people were having to do more to get more. They were being paid more, but they were doing more work. And that was in this article as well. It was really well spelled out where, you know, now we're asking people to do a whole hell of a lot more than they ever did before. And we have to pay them for that. Well, you know, yep. do we have to pay them to do more? I don't know. You know, if we, if we live in a pay for performance world, then we're happy to pay them more for what, for them doing more. So, so yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you see a lot of a lot of opportunity coming out of a, a story like this for there for the is there is yep. and you got to awesome. scrape through some of the bullshit yep. to say hey wait a minute if this is what's going to happen at big retail how's it going to impact me 
right? Every day, retailers are fighting for price equality. That doesn't happen. And if corporate retail has to raise their prices, we're going to benefit from that. This podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. We've been empowering retailers across North America for 30 years with the latest in point-of-sale technology, best-in-class support, merchandise intelligence with open-to-buy planning, and much more. CRS has the retail solution to help take your retail business to the next level of success. Visit retailbycrs.com to learn more. Remember, Canadian Retail Solutions exists to help make you, the independent retailer, better. Okay, Dan, let's keep rolling on this. Uh, things things looking up uh, down the road here. <laughs> the old line, uh, you know, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, story coming out of retaildive.com just talks about the NRF saying that retail sales could grow as much as 13.5% this year. Uh, this new estimate far exceeds um, their February projection. Uh, what do you like here? I, I think this article came growth. out on, yeah, this article I think came out on June 8th or June 10th. Okay. I don't remember now. It was 10th. Maybe it was the 10th. The same time an article came out from, uh, uh, it was either CBC or CNBC, you know, that talked about the retail apocalypse. And so I'm just here to say, thank right. God the retail apocalypse does. ain't happening. Um, and it's funny how perspectives change, right? So here's NRF putting out this message that says, hey, Retail sales could grow by as much as 13.5% this year and could top four and a half trillion T trillion. That's the T. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And online could potentially grow uh, around 18% to become $1 trillion. Um, and so last year, NRF tallied just over $4 trillion in retail sales, excluding automotive, fuel sales, and restaurants. Okay. All right. E-commerce accounted for about 920 billion with a B of those numbers last year. So what do I really like about these numbers besides the growth? E-com is still less than 25% of the projected total volume. And remember that these stats are primarily driven by big retail again, right? So here we are, we've gone through this 14, 15, 16 month transition to e-com only to find that NRF, probably one of the most um, relevant retail sources is saying, hey, it's gonna, you know, we're gonna be at about four and a half trillion dollars in sales. And, you know, one, you know, one trillion of that is gonna be done on online. So I'm not, listen, I'm not going, woo woo, Dan's right. We're going back to no e-commerce. That's not the case. No, no. But it is something for the retailer to recognize. Listen, you went through, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Well, I was just going to say that period of time, and we've talked a few few times about it, where you know, you how many created the e-commerce option to right. shift those those brick and mortar dollars there. But as the brick and mortar dollars come back, now you, you now you've got this e-com, and and to your point of twenty five percent of the overall total, if you didn't yeah. have that before, lo and behold, that represents a great potential for for significant growth. And yeah, if you're a million dollar um, retailer, now you're one point one million with your e-com yeah. business. You know, ten percent, or pardon me, you're one point two and a half million. Yeah. So one point two million. You know, now you've had twenty five percent growth that you know maybe wasn't on your forefront. So again, you know, I'm I'm not happy to hear that it's only going to be twenty five percent. I think it's always been in that. You know mid teens to now maybe we're going to get to 22 or 20 
25%. So we've seen a, a definitely a shift, some growth, which has really opened up our marketplace for us right. retailers, right? right? That's what it's done. And it's going to stay. It's here to, it's here to stay. And so I am cautiously telling my retailers today that, that are, are launching, relaunching their e-com business. It, it is a requirement. Yes. But be cautious about how much you dump into that. You know, let's not, you know, let's take a half a million dollar retailer that's going to do 10% of her volume online. That's only 50 grand. Does it really make sense to dump 10, 12 or 15,000 bucks into building an e-com store? Right. To generate, you know, remember cost of goods yep. is half of what we sell, yep. right? So in my first year, I've, I'm going to generate 25 grand in cash margin if I'm lucky, and I'm going to spend 15 of that on yep. building my e-com. Does that make well, sense? And it probably dominoes like like just you know your staff resources, some of your marketing yeah, yeah, budget, yeah. and 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 like even your thought process. Where all of a sudden right. you wake up one morning and the old 80-20 rule that I'm spending 80 percent of my time on something that's only creating 20 percent of my my right. my overall. So uh, and yeah, and so there. for me, Rob, I believe that the mistake we're making is looking at ecom as a small percentage of our total business. Ecom is a separate business. Ecom is a separate store. And you know, I've talked about that over yep. and over and over again. You can't, you can't think that you're just simply augmenting what you're doing today. While it does augment revenue, it takes a cost structure yep. to drive that business the same as it does your brick and mortar store. It perhaps takes a different worker, a different type of employee, yep. but it still has to be driven, right? Yep. There is no freedom you know, there's no freebies. I turned on a site and here comes the revenue. Woo woo. It's not really the way it's going to work. It's got to be. I never forgot trivial. that line from many years ago that treat your e commerce site like it's your second location, 100 yep. miles down the road. Yep. And and when you go at it with that with that framework, it, it uh, it's probably going to get the, um, you know, the the uh, commitment attention. and needs. Yeah, yeah. The attention. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you're right. You yeah. are 100% right. It needs to be treated like a separate location. And, you know, we've lived in this in this gotta have zone that has created a level of comfortability, right? It's there is some comfort in that gotta have that I gotta have it and it's generating some revenue and I had to yep. do it and I'm now it's done. And you know, but and now as retail starts to open back up, look in Canada, you know, we're we're now starting to see Toronto, you know, the greater Ontario areas, you know, reopen and welcoming people back into their stores. And there's a significant pent up demand in that province people are going to rush back to stores. There will be lineups at the stores as they reopen. We've, we saw it last year when the stores reopened, yep. people lined up to get in. I mean, hell, you see it at stores here in town that are still struggling with, with capacity. And so there is going to be this push back into brick and mortar. That doesn't mean an, an abandonment of e-com. It means that it has to be treated like it's its own business, to your point. And it is your third, second, fourth, fifth, tenth location. It's its own location, measured separately, you know, financed separately, separate benchmarks, driven separately. So, anyway, booyah, awesome. Okay, Dan, I uh, I think retail independent retailers all over North America, some that keeps them up at night. They got questions burning <laughs> in their brains, 
and and uh, you you give them this outlet to send me those questions and and you got a good one as you said uh, it seems like more than one retailer popped this question this yeah. week uh, uh, what came in the old mailbox well I had a different question planned for today um, but this question came from a retailer uh, earlier this week like Monday this week it just it was really simple hey Dan how often should I be sending an email to my client base. Well, then this morning, I'm on a call with a client, uh, Sweet Elizabeth Jane, with Tammy at Sweet Elizabeth Jane in Maryland, uh, and she kind of asked the same question. And so I thought, all right, let's, that's two. So I get two people asking the same question we're going to answer, because if there's two, there's 10 more. There we go. Um, and so here we are. You have this opportunity. We talked about this lots and lots of times in the past, Rob, about who owns your social audience, Right you know, Zuckerberg or ByteDance or, you know, someone else owns, Google owns that audience and how you're portrayed, how you, how you are presented in front of that audience, that, that you don't get to control it. No matter how much you spend on Facebook marketing, you don't control that audience. They do. And so the way that you do start to control audience is by having direct communication. And for us, that starts with the, the you know, old school newsletter, new school weekly email or biweekly or whatever your cadence is, but it is an email. It's a direct communication that should in some form be personalized. And so Tammy said, you know, I'm working with someone and they think I should send two a week. What do you think? And I, of course, paused that, that let my body language tell her I disagreed. <laughs> you know, I don't agree with, with twice a week for a small retailer. I agree with once a week. And the thing with twice a week is that's a shitload of content that you've got to be creating. Yeah. And let's go back to your 80-20. Are you going to spend 80% of your resources to perhaps get 20% output? No, that's not smart. You know, we've got to sort of level that playing field and communicating via email with your retailer once a week can be impactful. It doesn't need to be more than that. Yep. And I can tell you, you know, how many times people are unsubscribing from daily emails. I mean, right now, Microsoft, you know, one Microsoft and Google, probably two of the largest mail managers in, in our world, quarantine daily emails as a rule you have to create an exception to the rule to get those emails right i mean good relevant emails that i get every single morning you know like my one of my favorites retail insider get it every morning well every morning it lands in the junk mail gotcha. yeah. microsoft saying hey wait a minute that's got to be spam they're sending you an email every Too much. single day yeah right and so think about being a spammer as an indie retailer, that's not what you want to be. You want to be informative. We talked about this last week or the week before. Uh, I don't remember how long ago. We talked about, you know, what customers want from you. When we talked about loyalty and loyalty programs, Rob, you know, what they want from you is a personalized offer. And a single email a week allows you to create something that is somewhat personal to that audience. They are your captured audience. They are members of your club whatever that club is, right? right? Every go. retailer should have a club that is the definement of their email campaign. And it yep. needs to be a campaign. And it should, in fact, have at some level drip to it that if someone clicks on a certain product, 
that you're storing that information and then having the ability to send something more personalized to them. And every one of these platforms that we use, Constant Contact, Clavio, MailChimp, they all have segregation and they all have segmentation in them yep. that allow you to create drip campaigns. And so I said to Tammy, you know, I think it's once a week and I think it's good content once a week, changing, ever changing content once a week in the same template, in the same form. Right. I want to see, totally. I want some rhythm. I want some, you know, systematic delivery of that. It comes out at the same time, the same day, same agenda, right? Every single week. You change the body, you change the content, focus on what your customer wants to see from you and totally. send it once yep. a week at the time she is going to read it. So let's just talk about when they should be sent. Let me just... Again, here I am. This I think I did this to you last week too. Me yeah. telling telling the marketing guru how to do some marketing. Here. Well, when you get but, into the perfect times of the week, I'm I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> of it. I think you can see a little bit of everything. Yeah. You have to know your audience, right? And remember what we talked about with Zulily several weeks ago. Yep. TikTok to Facebook and the yeah, mixed the, the three a.m. ads. <laughs> right, yeah. and knowing yep. when to send something, when she's going yep. to read it. If you think sending her an email at one o'clock on Tuesday afternoon is going to work, well, then you should also try seven o'clock or nine o'clock Tuesday night, right? Think about when your audience is there consuming. You know from looking at your website, looking at your, your newsletters when you send them, when they get opened, how quickly they get opened from the time they land in someone's inbox until they get opened, right? So CRS, we send our wealthy retailer newsletter Friday morning, six o'clock Eastern, right? Yep. And we know by looking at our opens, how many people open it when it lands in their inbox and how many people don't open it for hours. Right, right. And then of course, the ones that don't ever open it. Right. We know that we should be sending emails. The frequency of your emails should really be dependent on your unsubscribe rate. If you maintain a low unsubscribe and an average 22 to 25 percent open rate, keep sending. Yeah. Send, 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 send. If your unsubscribe gets above one percent, you're sending one of two problems. You're sending too much or you're sending shit. Right. Yeah. Right. Send good stuff to them yeah. and look at what the open rates are. And so like everything in our business, it has the ability to be measured, changed yeah. and, and, and adapted, improved yeah. that which we measure, we improve. And so your newsletter campaign or your email campaign has to be measured. So what things, Rob, do you think should be in a new, in a weekly email to, to customers, to the retail customer? Well, the uh, I'm driven by the WIFM, the what's in it for me, yeah. right? And and you know, once a month is too much if there's nothing in it for for your consumer that's right. going to open it. And and really start from that place when they when they give you that click, when they give you that open, um, what what's in it for them, and what's gonna okay? You won that one click. Will you win it again? Will you win it again next week and next right. week and and I would say, like, try to try to live in the law of averages where, you know, it's awesome if they'll open it every single time. But, you know, over the course of the year, I hope that, you know, 20, 25 percent, 25 percent of the time and 
and and uh, the things that do that, you know, great content to me. It it inspires, it educates, it it entertains a little. So you know, on the content stuff, you know, depending whatever you're blessed with, talents in writing, talent or or talking talent or on on screen, you know, give them a link to a little video. And then, of course, um, you know, the realizing that they've given you something very important to them, their, their data, they've given you their name, their email address and respecting that. And maybe, as you say, like, you know, creating segmentations where, you know what, I really value that you gave me something of value. And, and so, you know, Rob's just walking in my store for the first time. He's not getting this. And and to give them something truly special, and 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 that to your part of uh, you know planning what your content is. If if your plan every week is ten minutes before you send the email that I got to slap it together, yeah, you know we talk lots about making time in your calendar for certain activities, right. and and uh, uh, you know the old newspaper guy and me, uh, the publisher Lullisher, when when you put your publishing hat on, you you're committed to. Um, you know, specific times you built that expectation. So they know, yeah, this, this is when it is going to show up. And, and so that's kind of the first right. uh, I agree. wave. I agree. And, and then what, what is it you're going to give them? I don't think you have to give away the farm by any means, but uh, change it up, have some fun, be, don't, don't be afraid to throw a few things, some different things up against the wall and, and know that, man, a couple are going to go thud right to the floor and uh, don't do that again. But uh, that's how you usually discover a couple, right. a couple of gold nuggets. For me, I like the idea of, you know, this is who I am in every single newsletter. And I love the idea of embedding a video of yourself in there. And you do this. Retailers are doing this today. And I, in fact, I was chatting with Tracy uh, in Stony Plain uh, last week and said, you know, you did this great live video. You've got an email list of 2,500 people yep. and you had 100 people on your live video. Why wouldn't you send that live video now to the people that couldn't attend? Like, why isn't that a, have a placeholder yep. in your newsletter, your weekly live? Yep. Because really, you know, the live is a show. And when you record it, I can then play it at my pace. I can fast forward. I can rewind. I can do all of that good stuff that happen, that can happen if you embed it in your newsletter. Yep. So I do want to see a little bit of who you are. And I get that in the live interaction. I 100% want to see what's new. Fresh inventory drives sales. Fresh goods drive sales. The what's new this week should be a section in your, in your email. Yeah. And yeah. then to Rob's point, what is in it for me? What do you give your caveman club member, your cozy club member, your, you know, your Lawlisher member? Who do you give to the, what do you give them? that sets them apart? Why do they want to be part of this exclusive group of people? You got to give them something. And that might be a token. It might be a, you know, a gift. It might be a a one-time discount. It might be a bounce back coupon. It could be a referral. It can be anything that gives before you ever ask them for something. Here you go right? Listen, we're coming up to market season. Do yourself a favor. Go and spend 10 minutes in, in, in a pool trade show or at off price and buy a shitload of really inexpensive gifts that you can give people. 
you know, just as a gift. Spend, nice. you know, 500 bucks on, on yeah. gifts to give customers. Figure out a way to gift it to them in your newsletter and you'll in your newsletter in your email you'll get better traction this whole purpose of creating this email content is to get them to walk through your door right physical or virtual i love the point about like you know tell them what's new when you when you think of you created value out of something that does has no cost really right to you but but there there's a great example of something that they'd appreciate that uh, and and I would make sure that you're t- you're the first to know right and if they see your Facebook post from yesterday with the same thing I'm telling you right now you just lost the faith of that that well this is bullshit they <laughs> they're telling everyone not right. so special anymore right, right? but but uh, yeah I love that that section of the email has to be exclusive that we don't just throw it out there for everybody, that it only goes to that subscriber. And I use that word, subscriber. They have subscribed to you. You've got to give them what they're looking for, right? And think in terms of, you know, the new colors, the new styles, you know, be that leader. Get out in front of, you know, this spring or summer's favorite color. Tell them what your favorite color is and then show them what it looks like, you know, start to build things together that, that it does give them some value. Right. So, uh, big thanks. Her name, uh, was Jocelyn that sent me that email. Jocelyn, thank you so much for sending me the email and Tammy, uh, absolutely love Tammy to death. She's in, uh, Ellicott city, Maryland, um, sort of brought that up on today's coaching call, uh, on our scorecard call, um, and love that. So if you've got a question, Fire it off to Dan at TheWealthyRetailer.com. We'll give you our spin on it. We'll get both Rob and I here, seems to be weighing in on these questions um, to hope to give you something that's exclusive to our listeners um, in these uh, in these Q&As that we do. So yeah, any question, no topics off limits, just send an email to Dan at TheWealthyRetailer.com and 100% be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at RetailByCRS.com. Right on. And speaking of that newsletter, as we do every week, Dan, we, we send it out Friday morning. We've got the links to, to the stories that we talked about uh, uh, today, as well as a few more stories. Uh, this week, we've got uh, a few. One talking about because travel restrictions tampered with tourism and working from home so much, it kept consumers in, right in their own backyard. And, and so a good little story about how community-focused local shops were able to thrive. Uh Announcement Shopify rolls out a firm's installment in uh, in the payment service for all the U.S. merchants. So uh, that might be of interest to some folks. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the staffing conversation and one story talking about the significant uh, staffing crisis in, in Canada, the challenge, you know, and things that uh, uh, you, you touched on many points in the podcast today as, uh, as retailers uh, begin to reopen. So, uh, yeah, great stuff this week, Dan. Yep. Well, okay stuff this week, Rob. Okay, mediocre-ish. But thanks <laughs> for joining us, everyone. We hope to see you each and every week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Happy retailing. Happy retailing.